Life is full of troubles and challenges and problems. One of the verses in the book of Job says that. Job 5 verse 7 says, Man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. And sometimes when I look at a campfire and I see those sparks going into the air, I think of this verse. Man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. As natural as it is for, for the lift of the wind and, and, and warm air rising, heat rising, as natural as that is, so natural it is in this life for troubles and challenges and problems. You know, when you first meet someone and you start talking with them and you, you, you get to know them a bit, you only see the outside. And from the outside, it seems like everything's okay. Everything's fine with them, and it's going well, and peaceful perhaps, even carefree life, if you talk with them. We only see the outside, though, don't we? And we don't see, perhaps, the deeper issues. And when you get closer, and when you start to get to know a family, and when you start to even, maybe in a counseling situation or a good friendship, and you start to realize, well, there's troubles, there's challenges, all of our lives. All of our lives have crosses, and difficulties, and problems, and the spots and the wrinkles, the cares and the concerns, the pains and the problems. Man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. What problems and troubles are you carrying right now, in your family perhaps, or in your personal life? What challenges do you struggle with, perhaps? Maybe it's, maybe it's financial difficulties or health concerns. Or maybe it's a bit deeper, the emotional scars of, of previous hurts and problems, deep psychological fears or, or, or pains. Or maybe it's the family feuds and the divisions, perhaps, the hidden divisions and the, and the fights. And we can hide them from others, but when you get close, then these things start to come to the surface, don't they? And we struggle with them. Or it's maybe spiritual. Maybe it's spiritual struggles, difficulties. It's that favorite sin that you keep finding yourself committing all over again. And you know you're guilty, and yet it's a a trap. It's a ball and chain. A struggle. Or you feel the opposition of the evil one. Tempting, tempting, always tempting. You know, we have many trials, don't we? And sometimes... We can wish, I'm sure we've all been there, we wish that they would just go away. Just go away. Like when you hit the delete key on the keyboard or you click that little trash can and it just disappears, gone, forever, gone. And sometimes in life we wish we could just hit the delete key and just make them go away. But they just don't disappear, do they? And yet... And yet the story that we just read, this history, this history of Jesus when he was on earth, when he was there and the sea was causing this problem, and the waves too, and the disciples were in distress, certainly a trouble that they were experiencing, and he spoke one word. Jesus spoke one word and it was calm. Like hitting the delete key and it just gone, away. Doesn't this Jesus live today in heaven? Children, where is Jesus today? He's in heaven, a position of authority, isn't it? A power. And with one word, he calmed the storms when he was walking on earth. And couldn't Jesus do the same today in your own lives? Can he just make it go away when we pray to him? Just make it disappear and be deleted? Yes or no? Can he do that? Well, yes, of course he can. And we're going to look at that together as we study this history And we study not just the fact, the theme this day is Jesus calms the storm, not just the the fact of this history, the problem that these disciples were in, but also the question that they asked. And then, of course, the lessons that, that God is teaching us through this history that he has given us to meditate on this morning. Jesus calms the storm. Now, when did this history take place? Well, we know, of course, it was when Jesus was walking in, in the world when, 2,000 years ago. 
it took place early in his Galilean ministry. So he was north part of Israel, up by the Sea of Galilee, and it was early in his ministry. He had just called his 12 disciples, or perhaps was just finishing calling the disciples, and they were learning to follow him. Uh, This story, actually, this history is recorded in three different Gospels. In Mark, it comes very early, Mark chapter 4. It was uh, toward the evening of the day, and Jesus said, let's pass over to the other side. And when when he had sent away the multitude, they took him, even as he was, into the ship, Mark says. Mark tells the story with a few different details. And Luke also, Luke chapter 8, Jesus had just done some teaching, the teaching of the parable of the sower. But Matthew puts this story in a different place, in a different order, because Matthew's gospel is organized differently. It's organized by themes. And Matthew places it in a way because Matthew is teaching about discipleship. That's the purpose of Matthew's gospel, how to be disciples, followers of Jesus in his kingdom. Now, Jesus had just called the disciples, and they're learning to follow him. They're learning to follow him. In fact, we just read uh, the section ahead of this, uh, how there are this one, that one, one wanted to bury the father first, um, and Jesus, uh, another one says he's going to follow Jesus wherever wherever thou goest, and uh, there's the the disciples, and Jesus says to them, follow me. And so there's this this idea of discipleship, and Matthew puts the story right there after this, this theme of discipleship, the cost of following the cost of following. Now, Jesus is here in this particular history from verse 23 of Matthew 8. Jesus is in the boat with his disciples. That's the picture we have. Jesus is in the boat with the disciples. Jesus got into the boat, and it says, it says very specifically, his disciples followed him. They obeyed. They were called. Others didn't follow, but they did follow him into this boat. That's where the story, the history begins now. Jesus and his faithful disciples in the boat together. And that's when something very unexpected happens. And and Matthew wants us to see the, the unexpectedness of this. Verse 23, and when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. Verse 24, and behold, so Matthew's drawing our attention to it now. Behold, there arose a great tempest. Actually, literally, mega storm, a mega storm, a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves. Now, this word for tempest is quite an unusual word. Uh, Matthew uses it in chapter 28 to describe the earthquake that took place after the resurrection. Same word, actually. Something unexpected, something unnatural. Uh, something chaotic or bizarre. That's, that's this word. That's what the word means here. A great tempest. A violent disturbance connected with natural phenomena, the wind and the waves. And so you could just picture it, can't you? The little boat and the wind and the waves there on this Sea of Galilee. Ma- Matthew, I'm sorry, Luke and Mark use a different word. Just basically a word for a storm, a furious gust of wind, a hurricane, or a whirlwind. That's the idea in the other Gospels. But Matthew here is drawing attention to this tempest. Because you see, there's something, something chaotic here, something unplanned, something extraordinary in this storm. The Sea of Galilee is not known to be very big at all. It's about 13 by 8 miles So you can see across, not nearly the size of Lake Michigan or anything that large, just a small lake or a large lake, perhaps a small sea. And remember, these disciples were seasoned fishermen. Many of them, not all of them, but most of many of them were fishermen, Peter and James and John and Andrew. And so here are fishermen on a lake that they had often fished on, but there's something unusual about this, and Matthew is drawing our attention to this, this terrible, this great tempest. In fact, Matthew even hints here at something sinister or evil. Why did the storm make them afraid? It was a great storm, unusual, unnatural, perhaps evil. In fact, just after this narrative, we read the narrative of Jesus casting out 
the demons into the pigs. Remember, there was the man with the demons, and they went into the pigs, and they, they were all destroyed. And just before this, Jesus had cast out those, he had, he had healed those who were possessed with devils. And so it's, it's likely in this narrative that Matthew is drawing attention to the fact that there was something even supernatural or demonic in this storm. Because the result was the boat was being swamped by the waves and covered. You can just picture these seasoned fishermen being tossed about, frayed, uh, trying to steady their boat, maybe bailing water. You can, just, you can just picture it, right, if we're there with them. It must have been terrifying. And there's parallels here to the Old Testament. Can you think of a similar story or history in the Old Testament? Seasoned, seasoned seamen, afraid of the storm, not sure what to do. Think of the story of Jonah. The story of Jonah, when he was running away from the Lord, and he got into the boat, and then that boat also was in a terrible storm. And also, when Jonah was thrown overboard, there was a great calm. Similar, similar setting, isn't it? And yet, and yet, these disciples were not like Jonah. They were following the Lord, as he had called them to do. So here we have these fishermen, seasoned fishermen, and they're afraid. They had obeyed. They had followed. They had done as instructed. And now they're afraid, overwhelmed by this unnatural storm. J.C. Ryle, in his commentary, says this. He says, How many have faith and love enough to forsake all for Christ's sake and to follow him wherever he goes? and yet are full of fears in the hour of trial. And I think Ryle's right, isn't he? That he's putting his finger right on the point here. Faith enough to follow, and yet in the hour of trial, full of fears. That's these fishermen, these disciples. Their faith was being tested so soon after they had learned to follow. Listen to the discussion between the disciples and Jesus. Verse 25. And his disciples came to him, to Jesus, and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us. We are perishing. Actually, we perish is the translation. You can also translate it. We are perishing. It's, it's an active, it's happening. It's happening right now. We perish, they say. Probably a, a, short, a short statement, a, very to the point, right? We perish. You can just picture them, right? You can see that situation. Maybe shouting to be heard over the wind and the waves, perhaps. Um, the wave, the boat being tossed. And then Jesus. Jesus just lying there, sleeping. On a pillow, it says in the Gospel of Mark. Matthew leaves out that detail. He's, sh- he's sleeping, peaceful. Only time in the Scriptures where it says he slept. The boat being tossed, Jesus sleeping. And he said to them, verse 26, he said unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? It's almost as if he's uncaring. As if he's almost mocking their fear. You could read it that way almost, couldn't you? If you were just reading the words, perhaps, not knowing Jesus. Does he not care? Is Christ being insensitive? to the problems his disciples were facing. Yeah, of course, not for him. That wasn't a problem for him. We know that. We'll see that just now. But for them, it was certainly a problem for them. Does he not know what trouble they were in? And sometimes we can feel that way, can't we? When we pray, and the heavens, they look like brass, and there's no answer. And we think, but doesn't the Lord hear? Doesn't he know the struggles that we're experiencing? Is Jesus out of touch with our reality, with our problems in life? Is God too big to really care about the things that cause us fear and doubt? Us who are just mere grasshoppers in his creation. These fishermen, these disciples experienced something that was beyond their ability. Consider the contrast. The contrast. In fact, you've probably seen pictures, artists trying to paint this. There's famous pictures, actually, 
course, we don't do pictures of Jesus, uh, second commandment. We, we can't really picture him and his humanity and his divinity, can we? And yet there are pictures that try to show this contrast. And we can imagine it, can't we? The contrast, the fear of these disciples and the peaceful sleep of the Savior there in the boat. And that's the point, I think, that's being made as Matthew tells this story again later, years later. There's a contrast, peaceful rest of the Savior and the, and the fear and anxiety of these men. How can Jesus be so calm in the midst of this terrible situation? And we can apply this in our own lives, can't we? Because this history parallels the storms of life that sometimes we experience, the challenges, the problems. God's church, his people are often tossed with tempest. Isaiah speaks of that. Oh, afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted. The storms of life are many. And not just the spiritual struggles, perhaps, that we go through, but even the problems, the challenges. Perhaps wave upon wave, even, you've experienced difficulties. And you can identify with these disciples toiling at sea, times when it's just difficult, when, it's, when, it's, when, when the daily treadmill of life is, is overwhelming. Maybe when you've experienced a series of disappointments or a seeming, seeming obedience and yet no results, unexpected challenges and problems. And we cry out to the Lord, but it seems as if the heavens are brass. He doesn't listen the dilemmas of life that even perhaps paralyze us with uncertainty and fear, or being caught, as it were, in the storm of a problem, whether it be in the family or more personal. The fear of perishing, the fear of failure, the fear of losing it altogether, doubts and fears that trouble us at times. As these disciples were overwhelmed, we can identify, can't we? We can identify, so we at times can be overwhelmed with life's problems. Perhaps you've followed Jesus. Perhaps you've obeyed by faith. You're learning to follow him step by step. And then suddenly, it seems, your life is overwhelmed with problems. Why are all these things seemingly out of control? Is not Jesus in the boat with us? Why is he sleeping? And maybe even more, before I move on to the next point, maybe even more, maybe there is a demonic reality in back of some of the challenges and temptations and problems that we're facing. We know the evil one. He's seeking to destroy. He's seeking to devour like a roaring lion. And we know that life is full of trouble as the sparks fly upward, right? The brokenness, the suffering, the sin. We know the reality of sin. Sin in the lives of others in this broken world, but sin in our own hearts as well. And we know how the evil one, the devil, often conspires with the sin in our own hearts. And maybe we feel trapped. Trapped in a situation that is too big for us. It's supernatural. It's unusual. A great tempest. And we're terrified. There are times like that in our lives, isn't it? God allows his people even to experience such times as he allowed these disciples to be terrified. Why does Matthew give us this history? It's important as we study the parables and the histories of the Gospels and all the the scriptures, of course, to say why did the Holy Spirit put these words, these verses here for us. It's a nice story, of course, for the kids, and we can, we can imagine it in our minds, the story, the boat, the waves, but it's so much more than that. We, we, we don't want to be distracted by the, by the storm, do we? Just like we don't want to be distracted by the life's problems. There's something deeper here. Matthew has two purposes, actually. Matthew, I think, gives us... There's two reasons why Matthew gives us these words. The first is a big word, Christology, but let me explain it. He is teaching us about Jesus. He's teaching us about Jesus. And the second reason Matthew gives us this history, I think, is discipleship. So Christology and discipleship. Discipleship, he's teaching us how to follow Jesus. 
So let's just keep those two reasons, those two purposes in mind, now as we dig deeper into this this history and, and apply it in our lives. The Holy Spirit through Matthew is teaching us about Jesus, and the Holy Spirit through Matthew is teaching us to follow Jesus, even in the midst of life storms. Verse 27 is the key, I think, to this passage. Verse 27, But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? What does Jesus do? The disciples awaken him. He awakes from his peaceful sleep in the midst of this storm, of course, right? He corrects the anxiety, the fears of his disciples, and then he rebukes the evil storm. And the disciples, they respond with astonishment, with surprise, with amazement. Amazement. I mean, just imagine, seasoned fishermen seeing this tempest turn into this calm. It was a great storm, and now it says it's a great calm. They respond with astonishment and surprise and amazement. And what is their question? Their question helps us understand this whole passage. Who is this man? Who is this man? They had been walking with him now. They had been called into discipleship by him. They had seen some of the miracles he had done, casting out demons and healing the sick. Peter's mother-in-law had just been healed. And they're already saying, wow, this is a great prophet. Wow, this is a miracle worker. But they don't yet fully know Jesus, do they? They don't yet fully know him. Who is this man? What kind of person is he? They they were still learning about Christ. And they were also still learning to follow. So we see Matthew's purpose here. Consider this man. That's our next point. And then learning to follow. Lessons for discipleship. Our third point. Consider this man. These disciples learning to know this man, who, of course, we know is more than a man. He is Jesus Christ, the Savior, the substitute for sinners. The disciples already knew Jesus in part. They believed that he could save them. After all, they cried out to them, didn't they? Lord, save us, we pray or perish. We are perishing, they said. And so they cried to They went to the right place with their fears and trials. They are beginning to understand him, beginning to believe in him. But they're learning to know more about this man, Jesus Christ. Because not only was he in the boat with them, but he had come to suffer for them. And that's a very important distinction as we think about who this man, this God-man mediator is. He is the Savior, the substitute for sinners. The disciples cry out to him, the one who is with them in the boat. And that's a comforting fact by itself, isn't it? Jesus was in the boat with them. Jesus, the Son of God, took on flesh. He became human. He became like us in every way. He suffered because of sin. He learned obedience, it says in the Word. From a child, he learned to obey his parents. And then later, with his heavenly Father, he did his Father's will perfectly. And he suffered. He suffered with us. But not only that, he came to suffer for us, in our place. And so we see here the doctrines of Christ's obedience, but we also see his doctrine of atonement. Jesus is not only with us in hardship, but he also comes to take our place, to bear God's wrath for our sins, to hang on the cross, to die for all those who believe in him, who put their trust in him, to wash them from their sins, and to clothe them with his righteousness, his perfect obedience. You see, many people in their troubles cry to Jesus who is with them in the boat. Jesus is with them in life's trials. And that's true. And there's great comfort in that. But he's more than that. 
Jesus, this man who is God, is a substitute. He came to suffer for us, to bear the storm of God's wrath for us, to carry the curse of sin for us, to face the temptations of the devil instead of us, to experience hellish agony in the place of his people. It's not just Jesus with us. It's Jesus suffering for us. And it's likely that the devil was trying to destroy Jesus even in this history. What a perfect opportunity for the devil to wipe out Jesus and his followers before he became a popular leader and before he went to the cross to die. Of course, the devil didn't know all the details, but he knew that something special was in this man who is God. And he was trying to destroy Christ already. Christ is the one who suffers for us. Do you need, do you need a Savior who sympathizes with you? Or do you need a Savior who has suffered and died for you? It's a very important point, isn't it? Yes, he sympathizes with us as we go through life's trials. And I'm going to come to that a bit more. But first of all, we need to recognize the fact that he is the one who died in our place. To take our place, to atone for our sins. You see, the disciples are only learning to understand this. They were learning to follow, to believe, to trust in Jesus' finished work, his atoning work. What manner of man is he? He is the God-man mediator who takes the place of his people, the perfect Lamb of God who dies for us. And then secondly, there are three aspects that we can learn as we consider this point. Who is this man? Secondly, Jesus Christ is our teacher. And perhaps this is the fact that is most amazing and most comforting. Consider how Jesus responds to the anxious fears of his people. Why are you fearful? Why are you fearful? It's a loving question, isn't it? They knew him already. A man of compassion, a God-man of compassion, God's love personified, God's mercy in human form. And he says with love, why are you fearful? Jesus is unshaken by the storm. He has power over all the, the, the forces of evil, the storms of life, the creation. They are in his control. He can deal with the demonic forces behind the storms, not only in the lives of these disciples, but in our lives as well. The temptations, the fears, all of that. Why are you fearful, he says to his disciples. Because Jesus is busy using this evil for their good. And of course, we see it because we know the story and we've heard it many times. But they were in it. And you know, when we go through storms of life, when we're in the middle of the storm, it's hard sometimes to see past the storm, isn't it? But Jesus is teaching them. Teaching them to look past the waves, past the storms, past the angry demonic forces even in back of it all. Why are you fearful? He says, with love and compassion. Why are you fearful? He's also patiently correcting them. They had followed him into the boat, but they weren't prepared for this. And that's often the case, isn't it? We are called to follow Jesus, and he gives us grace to follow. But it's a good thing we don't know what tomorrow will bring sometimes, isn't it? Or the next year. Because if we did know the trials and challenges that await us, we might stumble right now and, and falter. But Jesus is instructing. He's correcting. Their faith is weak. So he re he rebukes him in a sense, but not in the way he rebukes the wind and the waves. More, I like to think of it as a mother speaking to a fearful child. You have no need to fear. I am with you. You will not perish. The storm has no power over you. I am with you. Be not afraid. Learn from me. See my example. No, trust in me to provide for you. 
There are many precious promises in Scripture that echo the same idea, isn't it? Isaiah, Isaiah 41, verse 10, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Or Isaiah 26, verse 3 and 4, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Consider Jesus Christ, our great teacher. He is busy teaching us to live by faith and not sight. Do you know that lesson, child of God? Do you know the teacher as he teaches us to live by faith, to not fear what the future may bring? The uncertainties and the doubts and the fears, just to put them aside and to look up to his precious promises. You see, the problem is not life's storms. For the child of God, the problem is not life's storms. The problem is our weak faith. And Jesus Christ, the teacher, is teaching us to live by faith, strengthening our faith. Yea, I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. J.C. Ryle says, how many Christians have faith and love enough to forsake all for Christ's sake? I read that already. And to follow him wherever he goes. And yet are full of fears in the hour of trouble. And then Ryle continues, how many have grace enough to turn to Jesus in every trouble, crying, Lord, save us. And yet not grace enough to lie still and believe in the darkest hour that all is well. Isn't that beautiful? We have faith enough to cry out to him and say, Lord, save us. And that's a beauty. That's a grace. But he is stretching us. He's challenging us with these problems and these trials. And giving us faith to say, in the hour of trial, in the darkness of the situation, all is well. Because he is with us. No, more than that, he has died for us. He has gone before us, and he is leading us to an eternal rest. Do you hear the voice of Jesus, the loving teacher? The wind is still blowing, and the waves are still crashing, and yet we hear his voice as he speaks to us in his word. Jesus is with us giving us faith by his Spirit to trust him, correcting us in our doubts and fears, instructing us to walk by faith, causing us to look to him again, Jesus, our teacher. Why are you afraid? It's easy to say that now, isn't it? But the next time we're in the storm, why are you afraid? Read these words. I've done it many times. Why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? Remind yourselves of the Savior's teaching. And then third, who is this man? We've seen him as our priest. We've seen him as our teacher, our prophet. Now we see him as our king as well. Jesus Christ, our defender. This is so beautiful, isn't it? The storm, the waves, the ready, ready to destroy the church in that little boat. The devil at work, attacking. Attacking the Savior and attacking us too. He attacks us too, certainly. But Jesus has defeated that dragon he has crushed his head. He still has some authority, though, like a roaring lion seeking to devour, but Jesus is our defender. He is unshaken, even by the demonic powers. Listen to what he says. Verse 26, Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. He rebuked it. Again, this word implies something evil, something that needed to be punished, like a, like a father punishing his child for doing wrong. He rebukes it, something devious that needed to be corrected there in that natural, natural disaster, we would call it. Jesus speaks with authority over all the powers of nature. No more than that, over the powers of hell, he speaks with authority. One word silences all that opposition. You could just imagine the devil had stirred up into a frenzy those waves and that wind 
And all of creation was whipped into this violent storm to destroy Jesus, the Creator, the Savior. But He who spoke creation into existence, He who called light out of darkness with one word, now speaks. There's a great calm. There had been a great tempest, and now there is a great calm. Matthew is drawing attention to the contrast. God's power over the sea is often pictured for us in the Old Testament as God Almighty controlling all the forces, even the forces of evil at work, the chaotic forces in the world. That's the Old Testament picture. And now we see Jesus embodying this very picture here as he calms the storm. Because the Lord God, Yahweh of the Old Testament, is now come to us in human form, Jesus Christ, Son of God, Son of Man. Who is this man? Who is this man? Do you know him? Can he rebuke the storms also in your life? Yes, if if that's best for us, sometimes it's not. In his time, in his way, he will deal with them. Can he give you faith? Yes, he does. He works faith. He continues to work faith and upholds it too by his spirit. Who is this man who the disciples knew as a man, but we know is more than a man? It's the Son of God, Almighty, made flesh. Do you know him? Can you trust him? Can you trust him in life storms, even in the demonic temptations? challenges? You see, Matthew is answering that question. He puts it last. He puts that question in the mouth of the disciples. They they cried out, who is this man? What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? And this question focuses our attention on the main point here. The main point is Jesus. He is the Son of God, the Son of Man, the mediatorial messianic Son of God, do you know him? Let me just summarize for the children. Who is Jesus? He is the high priest, the great high priest, the one who not only suffers with us, but dies in our place as the perfect sacrifice. He is the great high priest. He is the great prophet teacher, the final prophet, the Lord and master, the teacher who teaches us to follow him, the leader of the disciples who calls them and equips them to follow him. And he is the king, king here in his humiliation, being attacked by evil forces that he created, and yet a king still with all authority and power. He is our defender, our protector. He is our priest, our prophet, and our king. This is Jesus. What manner of man is this? He is the Son of God. Do you know him? Now carefully consider the events in this history. The order of events. Jesus could have started by rebuking the storm. It's interesting, Matthew, the way Matthew puts it, Mark and Luke do it the other way, but Matthew puts it this way. He first has Jesus rebuking the weak faith of his disciples. It's very interesting. He could have rebuked the storm and then did a lesson about faith, right? But first, Jesus addresses their weak faith. Dealing with the storm had to wait because their weak faith was more of the issue that the Master needed to sort. In fact, if we even think bigger here, Jesus could have prevented the storm altogether. He could have kept the devils from stirring up the winds into a frenzy. He could have organized the events of nature to have a peaceful sail that day as they crossed the sea. He could have, you see, though he was asleep, his divine powers at no time absent or lacking. He could have avoided crossing the sea because he knew all things. But instead, he allows these demonic forces to work, doesn't he? He allows the storms of life. He allows his disciples even to experience this. You see, there's, something, there's a lesson here for us, isn't there? Jesus Christ, our prophet, priest, and king, 
is busy using all things in this world, good and bad, to work good for us. He allows suffering and death because that's his way. It's through suffering he goes to glory. And us as well who are taught to follow him, it's through suffering. I use the example of my church, the J. You know the J? Through suffering into glory. That's the a, that's a life of Jesus. It's a J-shaped life, through suffering into glory. And it's no surprise that he leads his people the same way, is it? He leads us through suffering, through storms, through trials. And it's in the midst of these trials that he's teaching us to live by faith. He could have avoided these problems, but he chose not to because he needed to teach us these lessons, his disciples these lessons. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ, the Messiah? Do you know this man, this God-man mediator? And are you learning to follow him? His school of discipleship often includes storms. And so the Holy Spirit, even today, is calling us to follow him through the good times and through the bad times. He calls us this morning, come, follow me. Learn from me, and I will teach you to walk by faith. Learn to obey. And that's the final lessons that we need to draw attention to as we reflect on this passage. Why did the Holy Spirit give us this history in the Gospel of Matthew? Why did he put this history here? Well, we have already said there's two, two reasons, right? Two reasons. Learning to follow, or rather, learning who this man is, Jesus, and then learning to follow. Because you see, it's the Holy Spirit's desire that through this instruction also, we will learn to know Jesus Christ and to follow him. That's what it means to be a disciple. That's the lesson we learn from Matthew's gospel, learning to follow Christ, the master, so that the church will learn obedience, the obedience of faith, so that each believer will learn to obey by grace by faith alone, in Christ alone. Let's look at, briefly, a few spiritual lessons that we can learn from this story now as we bring it to a close. The first is this. The Holy Spirit is introducing to us the Messiah, Jesus Christ. He's introducing to us Jesus Christ. Christ is not merely a moral example for us to follow, as the liberal theologians might say. Christ is not merely the highest or the last or the final prophet, as Muslims would say. Christ is not just the creator of this universe with all authority and power in heaven and earth. In general revelation, he is so much more than that. He is the Word of God made flesh. More than a man, he is the Son of God, the God-man mediator, our prophet, our priest, and our king. And the Holy Spirit is teaching us more about Jesus as we study him in the Gospels, and particularly this history. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's why these Gospels were written. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son? You say, of course I believe. You see, it's the storms of life is when that, that, real, that faith is really tested, isn't it? The storms of life. Faith. Do you trust in Christ's saving grace alone? He's not just with us in a world of brokenness, but he has died for us as our perfect sacrifice. Do you believe that he has taken away not just the sin of the world, but your sin? Faith holds on to the promises. He who believes in Christ has eternal life. And faith clings to these promises, even in the storm, as he gives us grace to follow. Not just grace for forgiveness and faith the first time, but grace for a lifestyle, a life of obedience learning to trust him, a life of sanctification. And so, secondly then, the lesson is that the Spirit is teaching Christ's followers to live by faith. 
Now we know this. We've heard this many times, and yet we often need to be reminded. These disciples were learning it maybe for the first time. Jesus allowed their fearful situation so that they would not trust in their own ability. You could just imagine, it's not in the Gospels, now we're just making it, just imagining, but imagine Peter. We know Peter, right? Always a little self-confident. Peter the fisherman. Peter who's been on this boat many times. A boat like this anyway. Peter who knows this sea. You can just imagine Peter, right? And, and sometimes we're like Peter, aren't we? Sometimes like we're, we're like Peter, we become overconfident, trusting in our own abilities. We've been living now for, for 10 years, 20 years as a Christian, and we trust in our own abilities. And somehow our walk with Jesus becomes, well, weak and, and distant, and our spiritual life becomes cold. Jesus allows his followers to experience this situation, a crisis situation to bring them back again to him. Important life lessons that the Lord gives. Precious times when the Lord tests us. Times we can look back on. We can look back on later in our lives and say, but though we didn't fully experience it, though we thought the heavens were brass, yet Jesus was there, our great teacher, teaching us to live by faith and not sight. God often takes away from under our feet what seems like solid ground so that we stop trusting our feet and learn to walk by faith in him. Ryle says, perhaps we never know the weakness of our faith until we are placed in the furnace of trial and anxiety. So what should you do with your trials, your fears, the storms of life? the difficulties that we face. We all have such things, some to a greater degree, some to a less. We don't look for more trials, but we learn, don't we, to be thankful in adversity as we see how the Master is teaching us, even in these things. And we learn to cry out again to Jesus each time we are overwhelmed. Don't waste trials. Don't waste troubles. Don't waste these problems. No, rather, by faith, learn to cry out again to trust in him more fully. And then the third lesson, finally, the Holy Spirit gives us life lessons, memorable life lessons and experiences. No doubt the disciples remembered many times as they thought back on this story, this history. Matthew later records this for others. No doubt he was thinking about what they had experienced. Peter, James, John, perhaps. As Jesus calmed his disciples' fears before calming the waters, so his word and spirit today calms us, calms our fears. And we are called to think back on these things and to go to Jesus with our challenges. We should take our trials to Christ again and again and again. We should not trust in our own abilities, our own power, nor should we toil on as if somehow we can overcome in our own strength. This is how we overcome the world. Faith, says Jesus. It is by faith. So take your trials to Jesus. Give up on yourself quickly. Give up on yourself quickly and quickly go to Jesus. Though he may be asleep, I think it's Spurgeon who says, we awaken him with our prayers. And I like that. Of course, he doesn't never not pay attention to us. He's always alert. He's always at the right hand of God, the intercessor, praying for his people that their faith fail not. This is the Jesus we know in the, in the word. And yet, we awaken him as it were with our prayers. He will not ignore us, though he may be testing us. Our God will surely hear. He has promised to hear. He has promised to be with us. He has promised to help us, to uphold us with his right hand of righteousness. He even prepares an answer for us before we cry to him. Because he is teaching us to cry to him so that he can answer us and strengthen our faith. We should tell the Lord all our fears. So let's... Let's list them together, shall we? The fears that trouble you, the doubts, the challenges, the problems of life, 
personal or family perhaps, whether big or small, what are they right now in your minds? Financial, health concerns, psychological fears or emotions, family issues, uncertainties, the future spiritual struggles. Tell them to Jesus. Tell them to Jesus. Why are you fearful, he says to us? Why are you afraid? He is our Savior, our Master, and our Defender. And he is busy discipling us, teaching us to live by faith and not fear. Amen. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we pray, increase our strength, our faith. Increase the strength of our faith. Give us faith to hold on to the promises of Jesus, all of the promises in thy word. Faith to believe in Jesus. Faith to confess our sins. Grace to repent in his presence. Grace to cast our cares upon him, knowing that he cares for us. Increase our faith, we pray, and cause us to live not by fear, but by faith in all of life's troubles and trials, whatever they may be. Whether they be present, whether they be future, give us this faith, we pray. We don't deserve it, and yet thou hast promised. And we know, Lord Jesus, that thou art continuing to disciple thy people, thy church. We know that Satan cannot have us, that he cannot destroy us. We know that even temptations, though they come, that thou wilt keep us from evil and deliver us from temptation. And so we pray that thou wilt strengthen our faith, even as we gaze upon thee, the God-man mediator, our prophet, our priest, and our king. Teach us to know thee, to love thee, to follow thee all the days of our life, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.